Welcome to Insecurity, a podcast about computer security built from the ground up. Visit our website at in-security.org for past episodes, the show notes, and to leave comments. You can contact us by sending an email to feedback at in-security.org. Or follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show. My name is Matt. And my name's Max. Hey, how you doing this week, buddy? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you? Oh, man, you know me. Um, messing around with my computer and trying to break the recording for everybody. Yay, hopefully this actually records, because recording last time for the second time with things broken, not fun. Well, no, the second time, everything ended up sounding relatively good. Uh, it it was good, but we didn't have the same flow. No, we really didn't. Do you have any, do you have any follow-up? Do you have any housekeeping? I don't have any housekeeping, actually. Do you have any housekeeping? I don't. I think that uh, even with without our normal flow, the last episode still stood relatively well on its own. Good. I hope I hope our audience thought so as well. So this week, I thought that maybe we'd talk about uh, seven layer burrito. Seven layer burrito. Yeah, you know, the ones at Taco Bell that you can go and get. Is that an actual product? Yes. Yes, it is. I know there's like seven layer dip that you can get. Yeah, I think it's the same concept, but wrapped in a tortilla. Oh, man. What is not made better by wrapping it in a tortilla? I know, right? No. What what I mean to say is uh, there's just like you and I, there's... Two ultra hot models for communication within a computer. They could be ultra hot, but by now, because we're so old and wrapped in burritos, I've got my burrito layer. Uh, these people being the internet engineer task force guys, because these guys are scientists and engineers, they've decided to break everything down to models and frameworks and whatnot for uh, people to understand the concepts and be able to implement them better. So they've come up with a couple different models. Uh, the first model that they came up was something called the Open System Interconnect model um, or OSI model, everybody calls it, or the seven layer model, which is where I got the name from for the seven layer burrito because I love seven layer burritos. Or at least I used to. I haven't eaten Taco Bell in a really long time. Don't ask why. And then the second model is the TCP IP model, which is actually four layers. Um, but they're not mutually exclusive. They actually sit side by side. And some things are easier to explain with the TCP model. And some things are easier to explain at a more granular level with the OSI model. The problem is the TCP IP model can actually be too abstract, while the OSI model can be too granular. And this is all, this is, this is models for communications between systems, right? So from computer to computer, we've talked about some of this in our networking episodes. I just wanted to touch 
back on this. They're, they're very common models. It's good to understand them. And I wanted to, as we go through each layer within the model, talk about maybe some of the, um, what the, what that model means in reality, uh, how people attack it and how people defend against the attacks that are possible. Sound good? That sounds like a good idea for our show this week. I think we should record that. <laughs> Are we recording? Gosh, I hope so. Excellent. Let's let's hope so. So uh, the first thing is, so we're keeping in mind that there's two systems connecting from one to the other. And there's this, this layer model where one layer depends on the other layer above and below it. And eventually they communicate to each other over this physical medium. So the first layer in the model uh, is considered the physical layer. So I'm going to go through and talk about the OSI model, and I'll tell you where the distinction is. So the OSI model, the physical layer, it's like the actual wires that connect two computers together or a computer and a switch. Um, And it doesn't have to be wires. It can be like airwaves or microwaves or like your Bluetooth device or a Zigbee device or all these other wireless type signals, but they all rely on the same concept as it's a physical connection type thing, right? So it's the, it's the medium over which we're communicating. And, uh, and if we look at how the internet works, there's wires that we connect to on our ISPs, they provide a service over wires, be it like a cable internet or um, maybe a modem and a telephone in the old days, or uh, even nowadays, the DSL service that people have is over telephone wires as well. It's just a high-speed data network traveling over the telephone wires. And then it goes to a junction point, and then it connects eventually back to the backbone being the high-speed transmission that goes across the country for you to talk to me, for instance. And these local connections are usually underground cables. Like for the telephone, for DSL, it's an underground phone cable. For cable, it's, it's the same thing as comes into your house, but it's like buried underground, right? And then it gets to a junction point, and then it gets to the central office and then it travels over this common medium and so if you're in these population dense areas then you'll see that it's more and more difficult to bury these cables right in suburbia you can just trench out somebody's yard and put the cable under there but if you're living in the city where there are no yards then you have to find other places to bury these cables One of the common places that's used is under the streets through manholes, right? There's these connections of sewer systems and and rain sewer systems. And so you'll actually find cables bound in those across the way. And there might be fiber optic cables and it might be copper cables and it might be cable TV cables. Right. It's it's not like they're going to bury their own. They're not going to trench out the asphalt to lay down a series of cables for every individual's house or condo or whatever. Right. And, and it also across the country, the most direct route 
between you in Vancouver and me in, in Toronto is the actual rail system that's there. Right? The rail system was established a long time ago. And the telecom companies have established right of way through the through the train track system. And there's already a bunch of cables that are laid out for the trains to work. So they've basically leased some of the land at least years and years ago. The main trunk that connected the country from one side to the other was via the CN rail that goes straight across. So they laid down a whole bunch of fiber and then they'd light up that fiber as needed um, when there was more requirements for, for bandwidth and whatnot. And that's just an anecdotal, but it's interesting to know. Do we have any idea whether they're reaching their limits for the f- unlit fiber, dark fiber? I have no idea. Oh. If, if one of our listeners knows, please email us and let us know if you know about that. I'm, I'm not sure. So to put the physical wires under attack, someone would actually intercept that physical wire and put a tap on there, like we're hearing in the media about the NSA. And what they would do is they would either put themselves in the middle of the communication and branch it off, or they can bend the wire or passively listen to it without actually interrupting the communication that goes across. It's just basically listening in on whatever information goes across, whether it's encrypted or not. Yeah, so that that's how you can attack the physical wire. Whether it's encrypted or not, well, that that's a protection mechanism, but that's actually done at a higher level. Um, so right now, we're just talking about the raw bits, the ones and the zeros that are going over quote-unquote physical media, be it airwaves or uh, fiber optic cable or whatnot, right? If you can insert yourself in the path of that communication, you can either actively eavesdrop to it and insert yourself and inject information into it, or you can passively eavesdrop into that. And so how would you protect yourself against something like that? Well, where it's an actual wire that's going along or a fiber optic cable, what you can do to protect the integrity of that and make sure that somebody's not breaking into it is you can send it through a conduit, right? A, a metal tube that the wires inside of that makes it more difficult for somebody to tap it. But even better than that, you can actually put air pressure in there and then sense that the air pressure is what you're putting into it to ensure that that conduit is sealed, that somebody hasn't cut into that conduit. And if somebody does tamper with the the conduit that's going through, then you'd have an alarm saying, hey, the pressure's not what it's supposed to be. We've got a leak somewhere. Is there a name for that? Just a pressurized conduit. Because wasn't there a a phone line that had that that same setup that they used for alarm systems? Um, well, like a home alarm you're talking about? Well, I think component computer store that we worked for had that hmm like a d-back line or something like that Uh, i'm not sure there was a security alarm system thing that they had in place after they got robbed that one time where basically they just cut the phone lines 
And I think it's something like a D-back line, or at least I, I seem to recall them. Well, I know that some security systems will actually have uh, like a cellular link as well. So if, if something gets cut, then they'll just call out right away and say, there's something wrong with the alarm line. Or some alarm companies will actually um, have that system pull back every once in a while and say, hey, I haven't heard from this house in a while. Maybe I'll send a patrol out to go and investigate. Hmm. So this is what's, these are what these secure connections are over. These pressurized conduits, they're expensive to operate and rare. Hmm. But when you need to know, if you're like a government or something, then conceivably you could see government buildings in Ottawa having these types of things connecting each other together. I have no idea at all if that's the case. All right, so so the way that this model, the stack works is that from the physical layer up, any layer that we're talking about can only speak to a pure layer across. This, the intent is for it to communicate, say, from me to you at that layer, okay? So the, the protocols that get established are at that layer they communicate across, but on our computer, so my computer, for me to speak at, say, the, the third layer, it's intended to communicate to your third layer, right, for that protocol negotiation to happen. But to get there, it's got to go up or down the stack. So it's got to rely on that stack with this in, within this model to communicate across. So we'll keep that in mind as we go. So the next one is the data link layer in the OSI model. And the data link layer is really what we started talking about in episode four, right? This is, this is how our computer understands the wires that are connected to it and formulate the communication over those wires. So ethernet being the one that we were talking about, it, it's the one that says, okay, we're gonna speak in these datagrams over this, and we're gonna format our communication this way, right? So you can see there's a reliance on the physical layer, and then there's the data link layer. In the TCP IP model, this all fits into something called the link layer. That's both the physical layer and the data link layer together. So that's how they abstract it. The next model up is what is called the network layer. And this is what we were getting into at the end of the episode four, where we have the IP communications. So this is where we start to see, okay, things are getting a little bit more complex. It's no longer my computer talking to your computer directly over this wire, or my computer talking to a switch. Now, we're, now we have the concept of actually routing messages across. Stepping back a bit, in the data link layer, we talked about a whole bunch of attacks that could be done at that layer, right? W one of the things that we said is, is you could get in the middle of, of the connections and fake that you're somebody else, send all these packets out and whatnot if you're a malicious workstation. And how do you prevent a malicious workstation from participating in that ethernet communication? Is at this layer, the control that you could put in is like MAC address filtering if your switch per allows such a feature to happen. 
So MAC address filtering isn't great. You can spoof MAC addresses. You can just define in your computer what you want your MAC address to be. And so if you're already in that line, if you're on that wire, you can listen to what a valid MAC address is and replay it. And wire being proverbial, right? People do MAC address filtering for their wireless, thinking that it'll keep bad guys out. But if someone wireless isn't bound by the like walls of your house, it just goes out there. So what you can do is you can actually listen to the airwaves going out, recognize a MAC address based on where it has to be within the, the frame and say, oh, okay, now I know a couple different valid MAC addresses. I can just masquerade as one by putting in, uh, spoofing the MAC address. Right. So we can't really rely on it for security. It's just one of these things that gives us a little bit more protection. So we rely on the next layer up to protect us against that. So as I was saying, the next layer up is the network layer. And the uh, TCP IP model, it's called the internetworking layer or internet layer. It's basically what the internet relies on. It's, it's that IP that does the routing in between. And so the protection mechanism here that we can implement is something called IP security or IPsec. And it really is this, this method of negotiating an encrypted protocol that all of the packets will be encrypted and thus more difficult to attack. I think we talked about IPsec before, didn't we? A I don't recall. Bit. I don't recall talking about IPsec. Man. Um, I'm not going to go into details about it. Just know that it's, it's a method for securing IP. It relies on cryptography. It has authentication and integrity and confidentiality proponents built into it. It's great. Uh, actually, the only part that we talked about it, I believe, was around IP version 6. Okay. Where it stated that now within the IP version 6 protocol, there are placeholders for IPsec. Whereas IP version 4, you'd have to build it out as something within the contents of the message. So it's, uh, it's something that allows this tunneling to occur, tunneling being like a, a secure type channel where this communication goes over. And there's various different protocols that can be used, like algorithms, cryptographic algorithms that can be used within this. But as I said, we're not going to get into it too much. Maybe a topic for another show later. So the next layer up is the transport layer. And that's really what we got into with episode five, where we were talking about TCP and UDP communications and uh, ICMP communications. So these are the protocols that allow for that transportation. It's, you know, UDP is going to be connectionless. Uh, so it's not going to rely on a structure of a packet so you can get more data through, but it's really only useful for lossy communication you don't care if a little bit gets dropped here or there. Because again, the upper layers will do the protection and handle that. There are attacks that can happen against UDP. We discussed that before. Spoofing, okay, easy enough. You'd have to understand how the protocol works to really intercept it and, and get in the way. But totally conceivable, totally used. Lots of history of attacks using UDP. Now, 
if you recall when we were talking about TCP, it had some security benefits in it. And then it had a handshake that does this negotiation. And this prevents people from interjecting themselves within the communication. And there's also these sequence numbers. Now, prevents is really not a good word with anything with security. It's not really preventative because it's technology implementation. There are flaws to these technology implementations. So what would a better word be in this case? Maybe deterrent? Um, well, the deterrents are just like warning signs. So this is really like a, a hurdle, a something that um, increases the time and, and difficulty for someone to accomplish their task. So this is like a delay tactic. Um, maybe deterrent is the right word. Let me look that up. I'm just sort of going with the uh, the analogy that we used earlier about the club for the cars. Right. Wherein you could easily go with one of these attacks. Well, you couldn't necessarily easily go in an attack in this case, but because they've got these extra layers of protection on there uh, or extra protocols that you have to go through, it makes it so that the work involved might just be overwhelming. That's right. That's right. So in the case of TCP, when, when they designed it, they thought it was great because they thought that it would keep these people out from being able to interject themselves because we've created a communication channel. We've handshaked. We've agreed to it. We've started sequence numbers. For someone to guess the sequence number to inject themselves into the conversation is pretty much not doable. Or so they thought. Turns out that the uh, communication and determination of the sequence numbers at both sides is somewhat predictable. And when we were talking before about being able to receive these bytes out of sequence and have these frames and being able to send uh, a size of bytes, there's this concept of a TCP window that needs to be maintained to understand uh, what the anticipated sequence numbers are. And if something's way out of that window, it'll say, forget about it. I, this is obviously junk. I'm not going to listen to this. But if it's within the window, then it's going to say, does this make sense in the context of the current conversation? So this is where people have found that they can actually inject themselves into a TCP window. If they're, on the, if in, the, if they're in the middle, if they're doing a man in the middle, then it's easy, right? They're observing all of the communication that's going back and forth. If they're outside and figure maybe we're using Skype and they want to interject into a, the Skype conversation, conceivably they could keep trying and eventually get it right and inject themselves into the conversation by doing something called TCP injection. And the way this TCP injection attack works is they will keep trying the communication blindly, not being able to see the results, but using the window size and an understanding of the operating systems that we're using against us because the different types of operating systems implement the TCP window differently and you can drastically reduce the probability of the TCP window like drastically. So 
when we were talking before about the possibilities of the sequence numbers, right? It was a four-byte number or something like that. Anyways, it was 65,535 possibilities. And then there's also four bytes of source port that it could be. So now we have 65,535 times 65,535, which leads us just short of like 4.2 billion or something like that. Or just over 4.2 billion different possibilities. I'm going to trust your math on that one. I'm, I'm still trying to do it in my head. <laughs> Calculator helps. Even though computers can do things super fast and these communication channels have gotten a lot faster, it's still too big of a number to, to be able to manage. But with the way that the window size works, it actually reduces that by, say, 14,000 at, at a minimum. And it also is possible to have a maximum window size of 65,535. So you can like bring it down quite a bit. But the different operating systems implement these window size differently. So if we know we're communicating over Windows systems or Linux systems or a Windows to Linux system, it's possible that the, the window is a lot smaller and you can actually keep trying these communications um, by sending a reset packet, which is one of the flags that we had. We had SYN and ACK before. Well, there's other ones. There's one that's a reset packet that you do to actually terminate a connection. So we can interject this reset packet to you. Say I want to pretend I'm, well, this is hard. We need a third person in this scenario. Say Vince wants to inject something into this podcast between you and I. So say he wanted to pretend to be me, but he's outside of this conversation to you. He's closer to you than he is to me. And so he could send a reset packet to me and try a few guesses as to what my session number was to you to try to intercept and, and get into the middle of this conversation, right? Your response will never go back to him, but that doesn't matter if he's just injecting something into the middle of it. Right. Uh, Skype's a really bad example, actually, because uh, we were talking about it before. It's UDP, right? Um, but say it was something more critical, like online banking or whatnot, right? And say that there was a, a special sequence of events that someone would have to go through to transfer money, to add an account, transfer money out of an account to somebody else. And that this was a one-sided event that didn't need a confirmation back from the server. So you could send this message across by injecting into the conversation, resetting the connection from the person who is sending this on the first hand and entering the message. Now, this is also not a great example because who's going to do online banking without a certificate in between each other protecting the communication? But the whole point of, of this attack is really uh, for things that aren't encrypted end to end, but they do require authentication without being able to sniff the line in between, you can actually inject a message within that communication. And that's the, wait, what did you call it? This is the TCP injection attack. Injection. And it's, it's very useful for things that are like 
a query against the database or like if somebody's authenticated as a, an administrator to a database, you can inject something to drop all of the tables on the database, which would be a real jerk move because it would actually make the database no longer work completely. It would just make, it was like erasing the database, right? Or, or something like that, or injecting a new account into a database, right? Or something along those lines. You could you can see there's nefarious means here, but there's a whole bunch of different reasons somebody would want to do this if they could achieve it. So like I was saying before, if we can't solve the problem at this layer, then we have to rely on the layers above us to protect it. And so the transport layer also has a layer above it called the session layer. And the transport layer and part of the session layer in the TCP IP suite are called the transport layer. So similar name, it extends a little bit beyond, but it's, it's close enough. Um, so what the session layer actually does is it's the thing that the, it renegotiates connections. It allows for things like SSL to exist, which is the secure socket layer, which, uh, which is the, that secure connection. There's also TLS, which is transport layer security, which is the same thing. It's a certificate based, um, way to enable encryption for that communication across. So even though someone can inject a packet within TCP, they wouldn't be able to guess how to inject a message using that same security layer that we're using that that's managing the sessions to actually inject something malicious into the program. Hmm. And then everything above this um, gets kind of fuzzy within the OSI model. It just makes sense from the TCP IP model for me personally. Uh, and that is everything is called the application layer at this level and above. There is one thing within the OSI model between that, and that is the presentation layer, which actually formats how the information's exchanged. So far, we've been just been talking about bits of data going across, right? We haven't really talked about the information that's contained within those bits of data. So the presentation layer is the things like saying, okay, we're going to be talking about ASCII for our character set for, for communicating across, or we're going to talk in EBCDIC, which is like the mainframe type of formatting for keyboards and whatnot, or we're going to be talking about MP3s. We're going to be streaming an MP3 across this or, you know, an AVI or whatnot, right? So this is the negotiation of the message of the information that's going to travel across this. And so the attacks on this are really based around manipulation. Um, so if I can, if I can change the message, then that's a very powerful concept. And then above that is the application layer, which is really the interface to the actual program that we talked about in the early episodes in like episode two or, or three, where the application logic, that's the code that's actually created and built into this, it, that's the interface for that to communicate over the stack to communicate from computer to computer. 
And so within this, this is where we have like the, the higher level protocols defined. When we talked about a dynamic host configuration protocol, DHCP, this is where the, that existed. This is where um, Skype exists. This is where Telnet exists. This is where all of the protocols that we use, that we consider the applications to use, really manifest themselves. In the application layer. The application layer is, is that interface between the code and the communication channel. Does it feel like you're talking to a brick wall? Because um, it's been like 30-something minutes, and I don't think I've, I've uh, contributed in any way. Do you want to hop in there with a few questions? I think I, I made like one or two offhand comments. I don't know if I'm just like loopy on cold medicine or what's going on. But I don't feel like I'm being really helpful or productive in any way. I'm listening to what you're saying, and it seems to make sense to me. But, but do you think that it's good for beginners? Do you need to ground me down any of this stuff? I feel like it's making sense. Like I don't think that I really need to stop anything. But I just feel really bad because I'm not participating in any way here. <laughs> maybe I am. Uh, maybe my brain isn't working today. Well, you listeners, let us know. And say if there's anything <laughs> no, we're that... not leaving this in there. Oh crap! Yes, listeners, let us know if there's anything that uh, is unclear. Uh, we're obviously going to provide links in the show notes, right, for this stuff. So you can get a visual representation of it. Like I said before, it's just a model um, to help describe the intercommunications that have to happen. But uh, there is one more layer above this that's not within any of the models. It is that eighth layer. It is us, people. The user layer. There you go. Yeah, I did something. I did something good for the show. <laughs> you can you can always get the show notes by going to in-security.org slash EP009. How about that? Cool. I didn't know yeah. that that was the format we used. That is. Awesome. So the eighth layer, yeah. There's, there's no protection for the eighth layer other than education, right? If you can convince somebody who has the power to do stuff through social engineering, then everything else is out the window. The eighth layer is by far the weakest layer. Once someone gains your username and password that gives them full access to the system, then it really doesn't matter what other protections you have in place because you've given them full permission to do it. So while the eighth layer is the the one that needs the most protection because it's the open route to all of your network access. Uh, unfortunately, it's the one that has the least capability because you then have to rely on people who are going to use the same usernames and passwords just for sake of ease, for sake of uh, comfort. You're going to have to deal with people who are getting tricked into giving the information, uh, phishing scams, phishing emails, like, Hey, we need, we're having trouble with our networking system. We're just trying to get this up and running. Can you provide me your username and password so that we can confirm that that's what we have on our end? Sent from admin at your company. Right. So remember when I said that you have to protect things at your own layer or the layer above it? Well, this is the top layer. There is nobody else you can depend on above it. But in an enterprise class scenario, 
we do orchestrate these things to depend on that peer layer. So we'll have things like logs that capture what people are doing from the applications. And then we'll have people reviewing those logs and looking for suspicious behavior, like potentially somebody logging in from two geographically impossible to be at the same place locations. And then you alert on that and say, okay, something's wrong here. We're going to have a procedure in place. We're going to protect against this. We're going to shut this down. And so we're at the point right now in our educational context to start stepping away from the technical aspects of information security and start talking about the actual point of information security, which is to protect the information, to protect the the business logic, to protect the, the things that need to get accomplished, that we just use technology as to help us. Because remember, in all of this, technology is not just there for technology's sake, right? We use technology to accomplish an objective, a goal. So some person might be using technology to play video games. Another person might be using technology to do multiple transactions faster. Um, yeah, people run businesses on technology because technology allows them to do business faster. Developing new products, developing new technologies through technology, using technology to create new things to get uh, to generate intellectual property all of these things need protection that's right and so we need people to think securely about the technology that we use to not expose people to scams attacks all of the things that we use technology for we don't we don't want that to be abused by somebody else that's not the objective the concept though needs to be kept in mind that technology is just an enabler for people to do stuff and the conversation that we need to have, we've got to start talking about other things. We've got to start talking about risk and what's an acceptable level of risk and whatnot. So we'll get into that over the next few episodes and step away from this techie down low level stuff. But we need that techie down low level stuff to actually start laying down the framework so people can understand you know, what needs to be done. So as always, please let us know what you think. You can email us at feedback at in-security.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show. And you can comment at our website, www.in-security.org. You can also check out the show notes, in-security.org slash EP009. All that being said, have yourself a great week, Matt. Talk to you later. I'm, ju- I'm, I'm just going to go and get rid of this cold. I'm going to have a lazy week. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.